Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Hi, my little spoons. I wanted to tell you about another show that I know you'll love. It's called Tight-Lipped. Tight-Lipped is a storytelling podcast that's creating a public conversation about vaginal and pelvic pain. In the U.S., up to one in four people with vaginas will have chronic pain with intercourse at some point in their lives, yet most of them will struggle to get a diagnosis, treatment, or to be taken seriously. Sound familiar? Tight-Lipped wants to know, if so many women have conditions that cause pain with penetration, why are none of us talking about it? Each episode peels back another layer of shame and secrecy. The show features personal stories of pain with insight from experts about sexism in our healthcare system. Tight-Lipped is hosted by Noah Fleischacker, who is navigating her own healthcare journey with vaginal pain. I hope you'll take a listen. I've actually become friends with Noah and her co-producer, Hannah Bark, and they're both incredible women dedicated to changing narratives about women's health and to asking seriously probing questions about the status quo in healthcare and our socialized understandings of gender, race, and sexuality. They're my kind of people. Check them out. Okay, guys, I've cooked up something amazing with my friend Natalie Y. Beavers, founder of Angels of Epilepsy, and it's all yours for free now. Go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called Hacking Healthcare, a resource guide Natalie and I have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system, but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents. From a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit, this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye-opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare, at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. All right, guys. Okay. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Lauren Cornegay. Lauren is the founder of Endo Black. She herself lives with endometriosis. She's also the co-host of the new podcast, The V-Dot, which is a podcast she's doing all about vaginas with Samantha Denae, who's one of our former guests, as well as April Christina, another prominent woman in the endometriosis advocate advocate field. And she's also a proponent of Black business. Uh, She's got a lot going on she's going to tell us about. So Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's start from the very beginning of your journey. I would love to know when you first realized that you had symptoms and what steps you've taken to control your health. Well, okay. So when I first realized that I had symptoms was literally 
at Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland. I was in my, I believe, sophomore or junior year of college. I had have always had pain um, with my cycles. I've always experienced that. It was just something that I kind of just felt like, okay, you know, I'll just have to push through and I'll just figure it out. However, when I was in college, I ended up having a cycle. Um, then my menstrual cycle went away and then it came back and then it went away and then it came back. And that's when I was like, Ooh, I'm not about to be doing this much longer. So I did go to the ER, the emergency room. She gave me medication and dealt with what she needed to deal with. And then I decided to schedule an appointment with the OBGYN who lives in Baltimore, Maryland and is, well, I won't say live, but is in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, they were right off of Hartford road. It was a family practice, Dr. Maria Kay. Um, she basically asked me a couple of questions. She said, well, what are your cycles like? I told her that my left knee hurt uh, extremely bad before my cycle. After my cycle went away, my right knee would hurt. I also had sharp pains in my back, sharp mm-hmm. pains in my chest. I had abdomen, abdomen pain. Uh, and then she was like, that's, yeah, that's not normal. And I was like, hmm? I was like, oh, okay, well, 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 what do we do? Like, what's next? So she ended up doing a pap smear and she realized that I had a reverted uterus. And that was a number one symptom for a lot of women that have endometriosis. So what does that mean? It's literally tilted. Wow. Okay. Gotcha. You know, so it's not, um, it's not, well, from what I know, it doesn't mean, I don't want to say it doesn't mean much, but it doesn't cause a fear. Right. Like you shouldn't be like scared about it. It doesn't necessarily uh, cause a health problem, but it's something that's commonly right. associated with endo. Right. So that that was one of the things I ended up having surgery at John Hopkins University Hospital. And, you know, they diagnosed me with endometriosis on March the 18th, 2011. Hmm. On April the 28th, 2011, I had to have surgery because I had a cyst rupture uh, in my abdomen and I had two gallons of blood in my abdomen. Oh my gosh. Two gallons. Two gallons. Yes. Uh, that was what I was told by my, my brother who is actually in the medical field. Um, Mm -hmm. well, he's pharmaceuticals. However, uh, it was probably a couple of days before, for some reason I said, Ooh, yay, I'm going to get healthy. And I decided to go run around, uh, my neighborhood. And then I was just like, Oh gosh, I'm so tired. Why am I so tired? And I'm thinking it's because like, oh, you're out of shape. So, you know, that's it. You'll be fine. But me being out of shape led to me just being out of breath. I actually, uh, in the process of me running and trying to become healthy, I actually ruptured my own cyst. Wow. Uh, and I, I knew I had a cyst because Dr. Maria Kay had told me that. And that's why I was taking birth control to subside it. Um, and to control it so that it wouldn't do anything. I just didn't know that it was growing. Um, so when I went to, you know, cool off, I, I got in the shower. I thought that that would help me. And while in the shower, I, well, I used the restroom. Then I went to the shower. While in the shower, the shower started to get dark. And I realized that something was wrong. But I was like, girl, you are going crazy. 
you need to go lay down. You were so gaslighting I, I yourself. Gaslighting myself. Because it was a new experience and I had never felt it was like, no, I think I think you are really hyping it up now, Lauren. You need to calm down. So I, I went, I got out of the shower. I barely even dried myself. I kind of just kept the car on myself and I went to go walk to my bedroom to lay down passed out on the ground I still don't know to this day how long I was laid out on the ground um I just know I woke up looking at the ceiling after all of that I you know went to my doctor my family practice doctor uh, not the one that was in um Baltimore because I had been home at this point and it was after the surgery and things like that I had graduated from college so I, I went to you know the the doctor that we have a family relationship with, she said, well, if you pass out again, you need to go to the emergency room. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I ended up passing out at my friend's house. I went to the restroom again. I washed my hands. I left out of the bathroom and my head went by the the corner of the wall by this much. And, and Lauren's basically indicating it's like two inches. Like you were oh, like I'm an so inch sorry. or two. No, that's all right. You were like it's an inch or two away from the corner of the wall where you really could have injured yourself. Literally, literally. And my friend, you know, was so scared and he wanted to call the ambulance. I said, no, it's like three o'clock in the morning. We're not, I'm not calling the ambulance right now. Ambulance, they also cost money. Yeah, absolutely. So I was just like trying to think of the most convenient route. I said, I definitely will go to the hospital tomorrow. So before I even could get myself together, I called my friend. I said, I need you to take me to the hospital. Something is wrong. Well, now my stomach has started to sweat. And I'm confused. I'm like, I, I, I do sweat a lot. However, I've never had one part of my body sweat more than the other part. And that's right. when I kind of got really nervous. Went in. I had multiple tests ran on me, MRIs, CAT scans. Uh, I did a urine sample. And that's when I realized. Oh, you are triggering your uh, passing out by using the restroom. Interesting. And I, I never would have put two and two together until, and then was another light bulb went off in my head. And I just try to hurry up and wash my hands and take the urine cup to the nurse and then tell her, "Hey, I'm getting ready to pass out." She's telling me, "No, don't pass out." And I was like, "If I control." nobody's like trying to pass out here (laughs) nobody wants to pass she's like hold on just hold on just hold on for a little bit let's keep walking I was like I'm I'm getting ready to pass out I'm trying to tell you and then I just went down my legs buckled underneath Mm -hmm. me I looked like noodles yeah and again my friend was scared so you know that was my experience with it um since then I have transitioned into different lifestyles I've transitioned with different diets I have managed my endo. I still have pain. Hmm. Um, I'm still learning endometriosis to this day. I'm still experiencing different types of symptoms from endometriosis. It went from just pain to brain fog, to being nauseous, to throwing up, to having migraines, um, to having allergies that I've never had before. So, it, you know, it is a growing process for me. I am learning. Uh, and I still probably will be forever learning. And this is also something for our listeners to remember as well, that endometriosis is a multi-systemic disease. While it largely affects the reproductive organs, it's also something that can affect, I mean, we hear stories about endometriosis on people's lungs and people's hearts. So this is something that- Erratic endometriosis. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So it sounds like you got the the passing out under control too, and you've been able to manage things Ooh, a bit thank more functionally. Right. Right. Absolutely. So it sounds like you were also helped out by friends and family along this journey to diagnosis. And did you find that you needed a personal advocate when you were going to these various appointments, or did you really learn to become your own advocate in this process? I would say both. So my brother with him having experience with medical, um, my other brother is also a board member of a really top hospital in um, Charlotte, North Carolina. So I have people in my corner that are very, very educated when it comes to medical field. So when I was at the hospital, my first experience, my dad was there. Um, That was when I had surgery. My dad asked a hundred questions. And he's a man of very few words, but when he speaks, a lot of people do listen to him. Mm. So he made sure that he was, well, what is this going to be? How, how long is she going to have to uh, rest? Well, you know, all of these questions. Um, the second time I was at the hospital, my brother was talking to the doctor co- consistently. Uh, I had friends in my corner that were talking to doctors consistently to try to figure it out. It was my brother and his wife, well, girlfriend at the time, who is now his wife. And they were really just trying to figure out what was going on. Um, mm-hmm. And they stood by my side the entire time. And I think it's important for, even even if you don't have endometriosis, whatever it may be, it's important for you to have those people in your corner. Um, Absolutely. You, make, you just want to make sure that people can advocate for you. However, you have to make sure that you advocate for yourself as well. I've learned that. Uh, I did not know that endometriosis would be a life journey for me. I thought that I would have a surgery and then that would be it. And now I um, am in a whole different space where I'm encouraging other women to be advocates for themselves. So it, it really took a transition for me in my life to actually realize that, hey, in order for you to get the answers that you need, in order for you to uh, get the help that you need, you have to speak up for yourself. The, the only thing is it is difficult as an African-American woman because we are deemed as uh aggressive or uh, mean or rude or we're angry, you know? So it's like, Mm. when I say something, it kind of makes me feel like I don't want to say something because even when I went to the hospital, probably in February, I, I, you know, I don't know what was wrong. I think I did have the flu, but I didn't know if it was like all of these symptoms were together because I just started feeling nauseous this year. So January was the first time. And I was like, well, the first time I thought, I, I genuinely thought that I had been hungover. Sure. Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay. Well, maybe next time don't drink too much of that. Mm. You know? And I was just like, okay. Then the next month it happened. I was like, I didn't, I didn't even drink. What is happening? You know, I even asked for a pregnancy test. They said, have you had sex? I said, don't ask me no questions. I could be Virgin Mary. I need a pregnancy test. Let's mark out all of the things. So let's figure it out. So even when I was talking to the nurse about endometriosis, I said, you know, I'm starting to feel um, confused and I feel like my brain is cloudy. And and I was like, I don't know if it has anything to do with me being sick or if it has anything to do with endometriosis. She was like, endometriosis is in your womb. And I said, that's not true, but I'm going to say, okay, and I'm going to let you slide on that. I'm going to let you slide on that because yeah, yeah. that is not the case. Right, um, and this yeah. was an African-American woman. Um, and mm-hmm. she just was like, all right, girl. Like, I'm So just- she gaslit you. <laughs> she, 
Yeah. Or at least she tried to. (laughs) She had limited knowledge. Yeah. But it it sounds like she also, she didn't know because she didn't have enough knowledge anyway. So it probably wasn't intentional, but. That's also a big thing, like the education. So it was kind of like, I don't ever want to be disrespectful to anybody, but I want people to tell me um, if they don't know. Mm -hmm. I want people to be open and say, I don't know what that is. Like I've learned the endometriosis is only in the womb, but I may be incorrect because I'm the one that's experiencing and I have it. So you really can't tell me because I know that me throwing up wasn't just, I was hunting over every single Friday before my cycle. That's not a thing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so, and I realized what it was, it was cheese. Wow. So you were able to narrow it down based on your eating and, and act, yep. like sort of activity patterns. Yep. So and the crazy thing is, so I did drink the night before uh, I was nauseous, but I had nachos with sour mm. cream and cheese. And I was like, wow. okay, that was one time. Then another time I had the milkshake from Chick-fil-A because I love Chick-fil-A. <laughs> um, and then I was like, huh. And then the third time I said, I got it. Mm. I ne- it took me three months, just like it took me three times to pee to realize that that was making me pass out. I'm going to figure it out. I just have to pay attention to track what is going on. Yeah. And that's also a note about awareness, right? That like either you're someone who is journaling this stuff and tracking it, or you're able to track it because you're aware enough of what you're doing, um, what your activities are, what your diet is like to be able to pinpoint these things. It sounds like it's sort of the rule of three for you, but it's, it's interesting, like, you know, this idea of advocacy as well, that, you know, you've had personal advocates, you've had family and friends who've stood up for you and who have helped you learn, but you've also learned to speak up for yourself in ways that you find to be productive so that you're not coming up against racial and gender stereotypes as well within the healthcare system, which we know is very faulty when it comes to these kinds of inherent biases, which we'll get into. But I'm also wondering, you know, did these experiences having people show up for you, learning to show up for yourself, have they deepened your relationships as well with the people who showed up with yourself for showing up? Yeah, I love, I love them. I will Mm. always like, and to be honest, like me and one of my friends, um, we did have a huge falling out. I ended up moving to South Carolina and then I went, you know, me and her, we just didn't talk. We ended up having a whole argument, but I was like, that's my friend. Like she's the one that drove me to the hospital. Mm. She's the one that waited for me. She was the one, she literally was the one that was at the hospital first and stayed with me the entire, and she was an advocate. She, she was my advocate that day because she was like, you're going to see her now. <laughs> She's passed out. Take her back to the room. You need to make sure. And she was really, and I know, even though I was going through it at the moment, I couldn't even really do anything. I couldn't. She was like, she's done passed out twice already. If she passes out right now, it's going to be a problem. You need to see her. You need to take her to the back. You need to run tests on her. Um, she made sure that she called my friend Erica. She made sure that she called my brother. You know, she called my dad because I wasn't able to do it. She went through my phone. She called everybody. We also were supposed to travel to um, South Carolina on August the 28th too. So then she went through my phone and called the people that I was supposed to travel to see to tell them that I couldn't go. So, you know, regardless of what we've been through, she will always be my friend because I, I that was something that she did not have to do. Because a lot of mm. us have friends that don't, 
do that type of stuff. You know, so my brother, anytime anything is happening, anything with Indo Black, I call my brother. He's the main person that I call. I, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, check out this interview. Uh, check this out. And he starts sending me stuff often too. He's like, hey, I think you might think this is pretty cool. So, you know, he's my big brother. So that's one of the best parts about it. It's just like these relationships that I have with these people who are advocates for me, like, we were already close beforehand. However, it just made us much closer. So I, I, you know, I always look at that and I'm like, I could never repay anybody for that. Absolutely. That's really beautifully said. So, you know, you mentioned that you realized that you were having these nausea issues with cheese, you know, that you've, you've noticed patterns and you've been able to create lifestyle changes, be they diet activity or otherwise. And I'm wondering what a typical day now is looking like for you. How are you balancing the demands of work and life as you sort of, I know this is sort of like a tough question, right? But as you, as you manage potential symptom onset? Like how are you going about each day to make sure that you are staying in the best health? Well, stress is a big one that I try to avoid. I feel like if you are not here for me as a friend, a family member, uh, you cannot be in my space. If I'm at work and it's too stressful, I tell my manager, this is too much. This is too much because I've been in a hostile work environment and flare-ups will start, you know? So I have to make sure that I put myself in a really uh, good position. I have to communicate with my manager. I have to, you know, I tell him all the time, he actually tunes in to a lot of the stuff that I do, honestly. I mean, he's very, very supportive. And even with us having conversations, um, he's mentioned that his wife probably has endometriosis and he's never known. Wow. You know, and I've, right. You know, I've been honestly blessed to have certain managers in my life. Even when I was in South Carolina, I had a manager who had, well, has endometriosis. She, uh, she saw me in pain and she said, no, we going to the hospital. Mm. And she drove me to the hospital herself. That's so, you know, uh, that's a good boss right there. That's a good boss. Mm. You know, and I think because she, not to say that men don't, you know, feel that way. But with her having it and her being a woman, I think we connected so close. Uh, And I think because she knew my grandmother, she knew that she had to make sure that I was okay. Yeah. Um, But, you know, so those were some of the things that I I, uh, think about when managing my endometriosis. I have to make sure that the place that I'm at, uh, that I'm okay, even in daily activities. Sometimes I have to set a timer like, you don't work too long. Turn your phone off. I have my phone on do not disturb after a certain time. I have to do that. Like, even though my staff will call me, it's not an emergency. You can wait until tomorrow morning. It may be 7 p.m. Because I also have to make sure I have time for Indo Black. So Mm -hmm. I have my full-time job. I have Indo Black. I do other things on the side as well. And I have to make sure that I stay organized. Is it easy? Of course not. It's not easy. Everything is a learning um, process for me. But for some reason, I just keep adding things to my plate. I don't really know why. (laughs) It's always us overachievers, isn't it? (laughs) It's like, girl, why do you keep doing so much? I don't even know. I just add some more. Because it matters to you. It it does. 
So it's just like, okay, well, now that you know these are things that you want to do, you mm-hmm. have to make sure that you make time for it, but you have to make sure you make time for yourself. That includes making sure that I eat um, because sometimes we go days working so much, much that you don't even, it's like, oh, did you eat today? Yeah. So yeah. I just have to make sure that I do what I'm supposed to do. Um, and I use my timer on my phone to that's, tell me. Oh, yeah, certain, that's great advice. I love that. Right. I picked this up from uh, one of my old friends. His mom did it. Uh, she, and it was sometimes like, you got a timer to tell you to go to bed. She was like, yes, yes, I do. And I was like, Hmm, it might work for me. So, you know, that's something that you have to make sure that you do like, okay. You think that you've worked on this project for a certain amount of time at 1130, it's time to go to a new project at one o'clock. You got to make sure you grab you a snack or lunch. Okay. It's three o'clock. You need to be on another project. You going home from work now that you're home. Okay. What's the next step? Are you doing extracurricular activities? Are you going to be, because other people, they have kids, they have soccer. No, people are soccer moms with endometriosis. So you just have to make sure you're organized um, and have a planner and have a log so you can track all of the things that are going on in your life. And it does sound very, very difficult to keep up with, but you want to make sure that you are on top of your game because if you are not, your body will shut down for you. And I'd rather shut myself down than my body shut down because I've had that happen several times. Yes, absolutely. So you mentioned that you've also been in these situations where you've had people certainly misunderstand endometriosis or not be able to really understand what it's like because they can't see it, right? Or they haven't experienced it. And I'm wondering if you've been in situations where you've been confronted and forced to validate the existence of this diagnosis to people who didn't get it because it wasn't visible. How did those situations manifest for you? So she's shaking her head folks. (laughs) This was a, this is early on uh, after I was diagnosed, after I started taking it a little bit more serious and I did research about it and I started posting about it. I had somebody tell me that it was just a period. Oh boy. Mm. 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 And I have a group chat screenshot. I think we had a screenshot back then. I think we did. Um, and I said this to my friends. I was like, how dare she? How dare she tell you that? And she was so serious. She was like, it's just a period. It's not that serious. It's this, it's that, it's this. And another woman too, to be gaslighting another, you like that. Another woman. She's African American mm-hmm. too, which made it worse for me. Wow. Um, and the universe really works in a different way because her sister was diagnosed with endometriosis. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Two years later. Wow. Yeah. That's some karma right there. And that, that is some instant karma because that meant that her sister was going through this whole phase with you saying that. And it made so much sense to me why her sister wasn't able to get the diagnosis because often siblings think alike because we're raised by the same people. So whatever your mom is teaching you, your mom is also teaching your sibling. So it made perfect sense as to why she could not get the diagnosis because she assumed that there was nothing wrong and that this was just the period. But we see how that plays out and that's clearly not healthy. 
It's not healthy to say that this is just a period because women's reproductive health is not just a period. It's big. (laughs) There's PCOS, there's ovarian cancer, there's endometriosis, there's fibroids. There's so many different things. And if we just say, relax, it's just a period. Well, we're going to be in Mm. some big trouble later on down the line when we have nine-year-olds that are having their cycles at, at nine in the third grade. Yeah. They're like, oh no, it's just a period. But yes, yeah, she's in the bathroom on the ground, balled up. Yeah. So I, I've been in very, you know, those situations where people will diminish what my pain is. And to be honest with you, the, the pain that I've had is not as severe as how other women have had pain. They've had numerous surgeries. I've only had two. Yeah. I've only yeah. had two. They've had five to 10 to 15 surgeries. And I can't sit here and tell somebody that what they're feeling isn't enough. I can't take that away from them. You know, I, how do I tell somebody that their feelings aren't valid? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm wondering about how that's also played out in the medical system. Like, have you experienced undue prejudice or even privilege um, in the medical system, particularly because of the way you present. You're a woman of color. Can you see your circumstances being different if you presented otherwise? If you were a white man having abdominal pain, would this be a totally different experience from diagnosis all the way through treatment? I know there was. uh, even, Even talking about how my friend advocated for me, She shouldn't have to do uh, all of that for me to be seen when we just explained that I had been passing out and that my stomach Mm -hmm. is sweating. Uh, And it it goes back to just understanding and learning and growth and systematic racism and things of that nature. There's a lot of African-American women that are misdiagnosed with endometriosis. They are told that they have fibroids. They're told that uh, they've caused this because for some reason having a perm is supposedly supposedly linked to fibroids or endometriosis or things of that nature. Uh, You also have my experience with, and it's so difficult because you don't, sometimes you don't even really know. You don't notice it. Like now, like I think about all of the things that have happened or transpired and it's like, was that systematic racism when I experienced it? Well, isn't that also because like there's an element here that that comes into play where you deal with microaggressions on a daily basis. So you've had to sort of teach yourself to put your head down and keep moving through. We're conditioned. Yeah. You know, we're, we're really conditioned. And when I was in the hospital, I remember uh, being in the hospital and after I had passed out in the hospital, remember I told you that the nurse, uh, she tried to make me keep walking. I had passed out while I woke up with sharp pains in my back and in my stomach. I literally, it was like a, me rising up off the ground type feeling like, Oh, this is not, this is not okay. I went to sleep and woke back up and I'm in pain. I don't know what's happening. And I was put in the hallway. Uh, and I never, I've never shared this with anybody. I was put in the hallway on a stretcher and I, I'm fearful of surgeries. 
my mother was diagnosed with brain cancer and she had surgery and she ended up getting an infection from the surgery and passing away. So mm. I was fearful because I, I wasn't prepared for this surgery. The other surgery I was prepared for, I, you know, I had to work through it. I didn't have a choice, sure. but this one I wasn't prepared for. So I was scared. Uh, the doctor, she came up, it was, she was a sweet doctor. She said that you were an African-American woman that is very healthy. And I said, well, if I was so healthy, then why am I laying in the hospital bed? Good for she you. She told me that my white blood cell count had been low. Hmm. So they had to wait for me to do the surgery. Because if, if they didn't wait, then I could get an infection, which I was so appreciative of. And again, my mm-hmm. brother was probably the one that was on it. Right. Uh, and I, w- I was in the hospital bed in the hallway across from where they were doing surgery. And I could, see the, I could see the door open up, close. I could see them operating on a person. I had went to sleep and I had woke up and I was crying. And I'm not a big cry, but I was fearful. I had never been so scared in my entire life. I was super fearful. And I think back like, was it okay for me to even be in the hospital in the hallway across from where I'm about to have the surgery from while they're doing surgery? And I didn't know yeah. if that even related to systematic racism. Would they do that? Well, is it a form of torture? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, so it's like, I, I was fearful. So yeah. it's just like, you know, and, and these people are doing surgery on me and they have my life in their hands. So like, that's another reason. I don't I don't want to be fussing these people out. <laughs> I, I don't want to, you know, be frustrated. I, I don't want to make anybody upset either. I genuinely didn't even really know what was going on. So it was just really, really interesting. There have been other experiences. From my, my experience, I live in Prince George's County, Maryland. Prince George's County is a predominantly African-American community. We have, I, you know, I went to a, a high school that, the percentage is probably like 85 to 90% African-American. The hospitals, they're here. Now, the thing is, though, the hospitals that I went to, I don't think that I've really dealt with it as much. Like my family doctor, my family doctor, she was um, Indian. You know, I, I don't know if I dealt with that. Uh, I remember going to a gynecologist his last name, Dr. Caseda. I don't think he was white. I think he was something with a different ethnicity. We never really had that discussion, but he was very nice to me. So I don't think that I had the same experiences as a lot of other people because of where I grew up and because I refuse to go to certain hospitals. Like we do, we do have a hospital in the area that is called the hospital where you go to die at. Wow. And that, that's pretty scary. Um, and I've known that hospital my entire life as a hospital where you go to die. Like, I'm not going there, you know. But because we live in uh, an interesting area, we still have zoning issues. Zoning goes back to systematic racism. We still have the fact that if you are in this area, the ambulance will take you to this hospital. But a lot of people don't know, even April Christina mentioned it the last time we had our uh, talk on the Indo Summit. She mentioned you have a right to request the hospital of your choice. And they mm. have to actually abide by that once you request it. But if African-American people don't know that, 
then right. we won't repress it. We'll just listen to what they tell us and take us to the nearest hospital. So my experience has not been um, as bad as some women have shared. So I, I am thankful for that, but I have heard stories and I have experienced certain things. And this most recent experience was last year. I, uh, and I realized that I think UTIs is a big thing and it, it may just be my thought process, but I do think for some reason, reason UTIs are connected to endometriosis. Yeah. It's fair enough. It's all similar area. Right. So it's, it's like, it happens out of nowhere. And I went to a new gynecologist because I had moved back from South Carolina. So I ended up getting a family doctor, but I didn't have all these other doctors that I needed. And the doctor I originally wanted to go see because I had been gone for more than three years, I could not go see that doctor. So I went to a new doctor and she's the only one with availability. She was African-American. And I get there, we talk, I'm telling her, you know, something's wrong. She does a pelvic exam and she just is like, have you had sex? And I'm like, no, I, you know, I haven't, you know, she's like, okay, well, uh, do you practice unprotective sex? I said, well, I, you know, I just said I, I haven't had sex. So how could I practice unprotective sex if I haven't been having sex? Like, I don't know, you know, what you're implying here, but even still, like, it was a little weird dealing with her. I get a phone call. She says, she said I had an STI. That was her synopsis. And that goes back to systematic racism because they're judging me based off of whatever the reason is. I could have also been judged because of the attire that I had on or because I was African-American and I was 30. You know, I could have been judged because of so many different reasons. But the first thing she said was, okay, we're going to check you for a pelvic exam because you may have an STI. I get a call at work and she's like, well, just want to let you know, we got the results. You don't have an STI. Yeah, because I haven't been having sex. Right, because I told you that. Like, I told you that, but you weren't listening. So she's like, okay, well, and I was like, well, what's wrong? I came to you to figure out what's wrong, and all you did was give me a pelvic exam because you assumed that I was having unprotected sex, and I told you I wasn't, and now you're telling me that I don't have an STI, which is something I could have told you in the first place. Hmm. And now I wasted time with you. And this is also systemic racism that is a black woman who is exercising this kind of inherent bias against another black woman. Like, I'm not, not aware of I that went, I literally went to you because you were a black woman to make sure that I could get the help that I deserved. And you did exactly what I didn't want you to do. Hmm. So then I go to another doctor. Uh, it was, it was a small practice. It's Bowie, probably Bowie, Maryland went out there and lovely place. They were so friendly. Uh, you can tell everything was good. I, I was very nervous. I went in and the nurse was like, she, she listened to what I said. I said, she did this. She did that. She was like, she didn't ask you for your urine sample. I was like, no, she never. She was like, why wouldn't she ask for a urine sample? She could have just asked for a urine sample and she could have knocked all of this out. She just wasted all of your time. I said, I know. Like, I know something is wrong. I've gone to two OBGYNs at this point for UTI. Yeah. And then when I tell you what's 
I tell you that it's something still wrong with me, you're like, well, I don't know what's wrong, but you don't have an STI. Well, thank you so much for your help. Mm. And that's a problem with medical education too, right? That like, not only is it teaching inherent bias, but also that, you know, doctors, there are some doctors where there's so much ego involved that they think they don't have an answer and that's the end of it. Like there isn't an answer, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep looking. Yeah, like what? what's the point of you being a doctor if you're not going to do your research and assist the patient that you think is going to assist? Absolutely. Would you also say that racial and gender inequality in the healthcare system is a public health crisis? I mean, given your own experiences, but all the other experiences that you hear about too? Yes. And to be mm-hmm. honest, like I don't know how African-American men feel when they go to the hospital. Uh, I've only, I have brothers, but genuinely, I don't know how they feel. I just know that my experience has been different and I can look at history and I see history. You have, you know, this Tuskegee syphilis experiment. You have Henry from HeLa cells. You have going back to J. Marion Sims. I was going to say, yeah. The mod, so-called modern day father of gynecology. You, yeah. you know, they had the, the, it was a AIDS experiment where they were trying to test people in Holmesburg, Pennsylvania, in the jail system, you know, to do a vaccine, the AIDS vaccine. So it's like, mm, it, it's kind of like we we're just at a loss right now because it's like, I don't want to go to the doctors. I don't want to go to the hospital, but I'm going to go because I know I need help. There are a lot of African-American men, however, they're like, I'm not going. They could break their whole arm. I know if you ever get a chance to see, take a look at some African-American men's hands because I know a friend, he broke his whole finger. He just wrapped it up and pulled it out and called it a day. I said, you yeah. ain't going to the house. Now his finger like this. Yeah, it's a little crooked. Up. It's crooked. It's squished, squished up. It's, you know, it may be to the side. Because we try to fix it ourselves because we don't got time to go. Yeah, to the well, there's, there's a lack of trust in the medical system, too. Right. That's the reason why. Because it's like, one, I don't trust you. Two, will you even see me? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I broke my finger. So I know it may not be as deep for some people, but I'm in the emergency room. And what else is going on? A, a woman just sh- she shared her story about how she was in the emergency room. Um, she's married to a white man. And she was in the emergency room. She's a black woman? Yeah, she's a black woman. She was married to a white man. But even he could not get help for her. She was there by herself for probably about an hour or two. They said she had abdomen pain. She had been throwing up, like throwing up. She threw up in the waiting room. They told her she had to clean up her own throw up. That's dreadful. It is dreadful. Her husband gets there. He's upset. He's communicating with them. They're like, she's going to have to wait. Mm-hmm. To the point where people are coming over and asking her, is she okay? Well, no, mm-hmm. she's not okay. But, you know, if, if the whole emergency room <laughs> is making some type of complaint, like, she's going up. Y'all see her? Like, yeah. she can, people are yeah. like, you can go in front of me. Mm-hmm. They end up leaving the hospital, going to a whole nother hospital and still waiting at the other hospital. Mm-hmm. That's, really That's a awful. terrible experience. Yeah. No one should have to go through that. It's completely Nobody. So it, it goes back to so many things. And that's why systematic racism is a thing. But you also have 
ageism. You know, depending on the age you are, people judge you. They just say, oh, she's a teenager. She probably has an STI. (laughs) She doesn't know how to act. And that's not okay. The whole terminology about fast little girls, that's really not okay. You know, so it's just, it's really interesting. Um, As a woman, my experiences are different. It goes back to what I said about uh, African-American women being um, looked at as angry. It's really difficult for us to express ourselves without being looked at as that, you know, and I'm, I'm very passionate. So sometimes I will talk and I will seem aggressive. I've been told that. And to be honest, like, I don't care. Because if something is wrong for me and I know something is wrong and I want it to be fixed, I don't care if I'm at work. I don't care if I'm at the hospital. I don't care if I'm in my family household. I I don't care if I'm with friends. If it's passionate to me and it's bothering me and I know it's not right, I'm going to say something. Now, it wasn't always that easy for me. Like I haven't always been this person. However, my mom, my aunts, they always taught me to speak up for myself. Like, and I mean, to the point where I used to talk really, really soft and blah, 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 and they were like, huh, what'd you say? I'm learning, I've learned, and I use everything that I've learned from my moms and from my, my aunts and from the women in my family to be an advocate for myself. And if people have a problem with it, that's going to be a problem that they have to have with themselves, but I'm going to call it out when I see it. Absolutely. And you're passing this advocacy work on to other people. Can you talk to us about Endo Black and about the work you're doing to raise Black women's voices in the healthcare system, particularly around endometriosis and women's reproductive health? Yes. So I have an ambassador's program. Uh, The ambassador's program has about 22 members. And we, of course, will be having more. We're looking to, you know, include more women. However, we have to make sure that the foundation is sturdy enough before we add on extra women, because I want to be supportive as much as possible. Most of, well, not even most, all of the people that are involved with Endo Black have endometriosis. And I have a staff, I have the ambassadors program. And to be honest with you, I started Endo Black because I couldn't find Black women. That was the Samantha Denae had the same problem, didn't she? She had the same experience. She wanted research that included black women and couldn't find any. Couldn't find any. You know, so now I'm like slightly stalking people. Yeah, but that's what I do too. I mean, we I think for those of us who are healthcare advocates, we like to go down the rabbit hole and find the people who really speak to us. Hold on. Did she say something about endometriosis? <laughs> I will search endometriosis. When I first started, I searched endometriosis on Facebook yeah. and on Twitter. And then I started following all the people that said it. Mm-hmm. And then I started trying to build a connection and relationship with them. And then I said, oh, you know, it's Tia Moore and Whoopi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Goldberg. And I, I was like, oh, yay. But I was like, oh, wait, I can't talk to them. I don't know these women. How, how do I connect with women that are famous? They're celebrities. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, I want to talk about coaching. I recently connected with an awesome executive and life coach, and her name is Jenna Chieko, a graduate of Dr. Martha Beck's program with a background in psychology and law. She's a former tech general counsel and chief of staff who also worked for the Obama administration. Jenna inspires clients to step into their best lives by helping them access their inner strengths, clear the cobwebs holding them back, and cultivate a dream big growth mindset. 
She is also a life Sherpa for navigating change. You know who I know who has big dreams and is navigating massive changes now more than ever with coronavirus? We Spoonies. Jenna works virtually, and she's offering 10% off to new clients who enroll and mention code INVISIBLE. Her rates are reasonable, and she's dedicated to help us rise to the top. Go to jennachieco.com, that's G-E-N-A-C-H-I-E-C-O.com for more. Uh, You know, so I passed this off. I started it to build support. I didn't start to do interviews. I didn't start it to become this person where I get on panels and discuss things. Though I love it. I am passionate about it. I love talking. I went to school for communication, speech mm. communications at that. Uh, so I love all of it. However, the first thing I do is I say, well, have you spoken to Samantha today? What about April Christina? What about Kyle? Uh, what about Julia? What about all, all of these women? What about Rachel? You know, what about Andrea? I, I say these people because I know that I'm, I don't want to become the black face of endometriosis. Because there isn't just one. Right. And we're all different. My experience isn't the same as somebody else's experience. And I don't want anybody to think that that's the case. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's important to have research to go through how many, you know, different situations that are going on for different women. However, we have the Endo Black Ambassadors Program. We have 22 women. We have California, Arizona, uh, Texas. Of course, we have Georgia, New York. Uh, we have Maryland. We have ooh, all over lot. the states. Yeah, South Carolina, North Carolina. We we a lot of we have a lot of states definitely on the East Coast. I am mm-hmm. trying to get to the you know Midwest. I'm trying to get as many as possible because I want the ambassadors to be able to be in their communities and doing events and mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, well, I'm about to do a support group. Y'all come out." And I don't have to be there. You know, I just want people to be able to talk to them about their situation because that that is really all we want. We want to be listened to. Hmm. Uh, we want to be heard. So that's some of the, the, the things that I, I try to do. We also have a newsletter. Uh, now, because Endo Black is getting so much love and so much publicity and so much support, I am starting to expand. So our ambassadors are starting to do a little bit more. Uh, We have our info newsletter. They're getting ready to run that. We also have other things that are going on. We have the shirts that we have. Doing that, trying to show support, trying to get people to purchase this stuff so that we can continuously fund our stuff. We have uh, Endometriosis' uh, sister who has um, graphic designing. She does all of our stuff. You know, so everything we have is pretty much in-house. And every time I get an opportunity to, I'm going to show. I'm going to say, hey, don't forget about her. So even when I have my events, I have mocktail and cocktail events with Endo Black. And we talk about skincare, uh, hair. We talk about um, sex and relationships. We talk about different things and foods that you eat. We have a chef, Chef Rashida, who is in New York. She came out and she spoke. You know, I want to give other Black women platforms to speak about their experiences, but I also want them to talk about the things that they do in life because we don't just have endo. You know, some of us have, um, well, a lot of us have businesses. A lot of us are mothers. A lot of us are sisters. Some of us are in relationships. Some of us uh, have great recipes. Like, I want people to be able to say, I know who to go to for this. Yeah, and, and feel comfortable going to that person and knowing that, hey, 
I'm not even going to have a problem with opening up and sharing my story with them because I already know that this person is a good person. They work, they work with Endo Black. She's posted them a couple of times. Maybe I should reach out because she's in my area. Absolutely. And you guys are also working to create change in the medical system too, aren't you? And legislatively, you're working on a campaign right now, right? Yes. So that, that's one of our goals. We work for uh, the laws, regulations, and policies to change. And, you know, I, when I started my goals, I have, you know, the basic goals, which is endosisterly love. But then it transitions into having an educated dialogue and conversation surrounding women's reproductive health. And then you get to the last goal. And I realized I wasn't doing enough for my last goal. So we started the Black Women's Health Coalition, and that is in partnership with Kyla, uh, Samantha Denae, and April Christina. And it was really collective. So it's not necessarily just Indo-Black. It is all of our platforms mm-hmm. put together in one based off of the conversations that we have with women who look like us that tell us, hey, something's not right. You know, if I have a situation, that's that's one thing. But if I have a situation, Samantha has a situation, Kyla has a situation, April has a situation, all 22 other ambassadors have a situation, the whole Indo-Black staff got the same situation. It's like... Common thread. Yeah. Something has to change. Something has to change. So we decided to start it, and it is something that is going to grow. We're going to keep pushing it. We are targeting 10 top hospitals. And again, we are not doing it to blast anybody. We're not doing it to tell them they're not doing their job. What we are doing is trying to say, hey, I I just want you to understand where I'm coming from. And here's how you can do it even better than you're already doing. There's also, um, for those who are tuning in, there is a direct link to all the Black Women's Health Coalition info, which gives direct links further to emails that you can send at the touch of a button, um, phone calls you can make and everything on my link tree on on Invisible Pod um, Instagram, but it's also available through Endo Black. So people can... Whichever platform you're on, you'll be able to find that information as well to help out. thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Well, that was really important. You know, I mean, you you have created the perfect resource, the perfect way to continue this conversation about Black health, but Black women's health in particular, to actually reach out directly to institutions. I mean, you've made it easy is the other thing. So there's really no excuse not to take the five minutes. Very accessible. We worked hard on that. When I said we thought of every single thing, we were really, really trying. We did the Google link. Hey, if you lose the information, if you lose all of the information, if you can find that Google link that you share with yourself, Mm. you still have access to everything. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, and and it's expanding. The information's expanding every day. You guys are adding to it. There are six key tenets that you're working toward in terms of just institutional change as well as legislation. Right. Right. Accountability. We're asking for education in the school Mm -hmm. system. We're not asking them to go to the school and have a health class. We're not doing that. That's what you guys do. (laughs) Right. Right. Samantha does that already. We're not asking for that. We're asking just for you to connect with somebody that has something to do with you so you can bring these young people in and educate them because that's the way you get it. And honestly, honestly, if they were smart, they would listen to us because that's recruitment for your hospital. Absolutely. That's how you recruit more doctors. That's how you recruit more medical staff. 
whether it's an administrative assistant, whether it's people who's working in a hospital who does it, who does the equipment, whether it's the people who make the equipment. That is how you recruit. Yeah. So yeah. like at the end of the day, we're we're coming up with ideas for you to be better. Yeah, absolutely. And taking on the patient voice is never uh, a failing you know, system. It's, it's always it's about focusing on system. patients. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and I'm aware that some hospitals may already have a patient advocacy group, and that's perfectly fine. But we're hoping that by looking at these top 10 hospitals, before we come to your hospital, you are like, oh, you see what they did over there, guys? Let me change it before they even say anything. And press release so people will see that we already did it. Don't come over here with us. We don't want no problems. Yeah. You know, it's just a heads up, hey, because we coming. We're going yeah. to, because everybody is going to have, because somebody already said, when we add a new hospital to the list, hmm. it's women that are ready. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're just asking hospitals to take a second look at some of the things we're asking for diversity training. And there's things that. Very they, basic. <laughs> some of that yeah, stuff too. You know, and they probably already do this stuff, but it, it, it don't work. Well, that's the thing. Or they aren't doing it right. You know, like. Oh, yeah. The, they're that doing, they think they're doing diversity training, but maybe it's a white person teaching it, you know, like right. there's just, it's just about understanding other voices outside the system, isn't it? Voices that don't have a vested interest who want to be counted because they're the ones who are directly affected by what happens within the system. Right. And to be honest, like as a teacher, as an educator, I have trainings. Mm. I have diversity trainings. I know that when a Hispanic person or a Latina person comes in, the first thing you do, if they are not fluent in English, is you get a translator. That is the okay. first thing that you do. Do not speak to these anybody. Don't speak to any of these people without a translator. Because hmm. you can mix up a message and that will be the end of the. How are you going to fully understand what that person is saying? Hmm. And that is something I literally learned through training. And I also worked at the Department of Social Services. That was a train. We cannot talk to people on the phone. Hold on, ma'am. We even had that at the retail store that I worked at. Mm-hmm. When they wanted to come and buy shoes, ma'am, hold on. Because I'm going to get the sale because I want her to buy these shoes. But she's Hispanic and I want to make sure she understands everything about this sale before I just go in. Right. I can't swipe somebody's money and they don't understand. So yeah. we have to make sure that everything that every experience that I have, whether it was at, at the retail store whether it was a department of social services, whether it was me being an educator. Why y'all can't do the same exact Mm. thing? We are in 2020. You have a translator. I know you have a translator. If you don't, you need to go ahead and increase your budget so you can hire five. You should have one for every single department. And even if you you have that one translator, because we did have one translator at DSS, and he probably was mad that he had to be the only translator. But I want to make sure that we understand because DSS, we're dealing with people's children. Yeah. That's serious. So, you know, diversity training, that is key. We want to make sure that, again, like I said, accountability. We want to make sure there's pain management. We talk mm-hmm. about how women are not diagnosed properly because we have a higher threshold. African American. Well, and especially... That's the thing. It's like among black women, there's this, there's this misunderstanding that black women have a higher tolerance for pain, which comes out of, I mean, it comes from slavery, right? But like it literally, there, there's no scientific evidence of this. There is none. And it's crazy because people, people keep saying it. 
Yeah. Where, who told you that? This is who the time we put that to that? bed. That narrative yeah, is time to go to, to bed. That to bed. We yeah. have to put that type of stuff to bed because that's, and even um, there was a, I really wish I remember the name of the survey that was done. Uh, I listed it on, well, the name of the survey was listed on the letter that we sent out to the Black Women's Co- Health Coalition for the hospitals. It okay. stated that 50% of the medical trainees that took the survey believed that Black women could deal with more pain. They believed that we had thicker skin. They believed that we had a higher threshold of pain. And like, you've literally taken basic anatomy classes. How could you possibly believe these falsehoods? Yeah. I'm not in the medical field, but I can tell you that's not true. Yeah. You know, maybe, and I will say women that do have endometriosis, our, our threshold is naturally higher because we dealt with pain so much. That has nothing to do with African American. You know, and that my, also my pain is hurt. Right. Just because I can deal with it doesn't mean I have to. Right. If you have the means to help me or the resources, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why would you send me away in pain? Yeah. Absolutely. So it that, that goes back to um a, another saying because I'm an educator. It goes back to how would you want your, your son or your daughter to be treated? How would you want your mother or your father to be treated? If 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 I was a doctor and I was in a hospital and I saw that person in pain, morally, morally, yeah. your values should override all of this other stuff that has come, you know, I guess clouded your judgment to make you feel like the bias that you have is okay to do or have or say. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't work out that way. So those are four of it. Accountability, education in the school system. You have pain management. I forgot the other one I said. And you, you have a couple of other ones. Those Diversity are training. Three. Diversity training. And then we have two more. Uh, but I, I just want everybody, because this is not going away. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to push this as much as possible. By this time, you know, I'm hoping that we have some recognition because they haven't responded to any of the emails. Oh, wow. Not. That's really bad form. They haven't received anything. Wow. Uh, so, you know, but. And that goes back to black women being ignored. When I get ignored personally, that's when I start feeling some type of way personally. So yeah. it's like, I'm trying to be patient. The next step is I'm going to, have to start calling me my phone. Yeah. And the next step is listing those phone numbers and letting the rest of us. And I'm not trying to do too. that because we're being nice. Yeah. <laughs> but also like the time for being nice, that ended a long time ago, didn't it? Yeah. That's why we're here now. That is why we're here now. So, I mean, I will list the whole directory for every single hospital. I don't care what department you call. Call them. Yeah, absolutely. You can call the administrative assistant. Get on her nerves to the point she get on her her boss nerves. To the point that boss realized, oh, we got a problem because they all call her. Absolutely. People don't have nothing but time. (laughs) Yep. And that's the thing. That's another thing. It's fighting. It's not over. And you guys have started a branch of this fight that's so important. Um, I mean, those who turn, tune into the show know how important women's health is as a cause to me right. and to the people who are on the show. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, and this isn't just women's health, this is black women's health. This is an area of healthcare that has been, really people have been mistreated too too right. long. And this is an opportunity to create change. And it's been organized by black women for anyone to help 
in the fight. Right. So, and, and it's very organized for you to go through. And if anybody right. has any questions, we also have our email up. And I do want to say that, yes, this is for African-American women, but we didn't forget about women of color either. No. That's the next step. Once we get our answers, like, okay, don't forget Asian women. Don't forget Native American women. Don't and forget I think Hispanic also- women. You know, this, what you're trying to do in terms of creating change in terms of diversity and inclusion, it includes everyone, you know, the idea it's, it's like this, it's like the all lives matter versus black lives matter. It's that right now the focus is on black patients because they're experiencing some of the worst, you know, prejudice in the system, but it doesn't mean that these initiatives don't also include everyone else. Cause if they were actually attended properly, given the directives that you've given, then actually the hospitals would be more inclusive of care for indigenous populations, for right. Latinx populations. Because diversity training doesn't mean only have conversations about Black people. Diversity <laughs> is diversity. Yeah. So we want you to include all of these things. So, And we know all lives do matter. That's the thing. We know that. <laughs> but I don't think they matter if people are not being respected, if people are being ignored, if people are not getting the treatment that they deserve if Mm. people are being turned away at hospitals if you have black women dying at a high rate and mortality rate when they're having children yeah you know well it's the idea that none of us matters until all of us matter yep and that right now the populations that are under attack are black and brown populations and that we have to focus on equality for those users of the healthcare system if we want everyone's care to be better right because it's I just think morally, because I, I go back to values and moral. What were mm-hmm. you raised on? What was your mother yeah. want you to do? You know, again, how would you want somebody to treat your child or your parent or your grandmother? It goes back, you know, mm-hmm. because at one point I was seven. <laughs> I am somebody's child. Yeah. At one point, and you know, you may have children and you will want somebody to treat your child with respect and with the, the utmost care. And also you signed an oath. Yeah. That's I a big that's one, isn't it? That you, the doctors, I read your oath. I read it. They take the Hippocratic <laughs> Oath. So if you aren't actually providing comprehensive health care for all people equally, then there's something wrong with you. Still, somebody may need to look back at the oath. Like I saw it. I read the oath. That's the thing. I read it. So like if I'm reading it and I'm like, this is what you said in your oath, but it doesn't align up with what you're doing. I'm Mm -hmm. confused. Yeah. And you're trying to fix it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what about, I was wondering if you could give us some, some tips, top three tips for someone who maybe suspects they've got something off. Maybe they're diagnosed with endo or a a reproductive health disorder, some kind of invisible illness. What would your top three tips be for someone who's in this Spoonie Club with us? My top three tips. The first one is if, if you are thinking that you have a disorder or you know that you have a disorder, your first thing is you need to track. You Mm -hmm. need to track what you're doing. You need to track your pain. You need to track the medication you're taking. You need to track the foods that you're eating. You have to pay attention to it. And I know that it may be difficult. Sometimes I pull out my phone. If I've been in pain after that, I'm like, okay, well, I'm typing in my imaginary phone right now. Let me go <laughs> and put these things in. Let me track. Uh, I had pain for this long. It was mild um, on this date at this time. It lasted this long. 
Mm. You know, and I have my notepad. Uh, but luckily, Shameless Plug, Endo Black is coming out with a Endo Log. That's so amazing. People can document. Yes, we're coming out with the Endo Log, and it's going to talk about the medication. You can track your medication. You can track your appointments. You can track how your appointment went. You can track the foods that you've been eating. You can track your cycles, your periods. Mm-hmm. How heavy, you know, you bled. Um, we also will have some information in there about managing endo. Uh, so we will have that out up and rolling. And I do want everybody to look into that. But it's important for you to track those things. The second thing is be an advocate. You need to be an advocate for yourself. You don't be scared. Don't don't be scared. You know, at the end of the day, we are the customer, and the customer is always right. When you go to McDonald's and your food is wrong, and you tell them, and guess what they do at McDonald's? Well, some McDonald's, they don't listen. Some McDonald's, they do. <laughs> some McDonald's, they'll say, I apologize, sir. We'll change your food. Ma'am, please let me take that. Can I get you another? Chick-fil-A is a definite good example of how service should be. So why is it that when I go to the hospital and I, I tell you how I feel, I tell you this medication made me feel this way, I tell you that I'm in pain, I tell... I'm paying for service. I'm paying for service. Yeah. My insurance is paying for service. Plus yeah. I have a whole payment that I got to pay. So I'm paying. Yeah. And, it, and it's not cheap. So if it's not cheap, you should be able to take the criticism that I have for you because I am literally paying you to help me. Mm-hmm. Period. You know, yeah. so yeah. I, I don't see a problem with being an advocate. So that's the number two step. The first one was tracking. The second one is advocating for yourself. The third one is research. You have mm-hmm. to research. I cannot tell you what you can eat. I cannot tell you what activities you can do. I can't tell you the holistic approach to it. You have to do your own research. Everybody's body is different. What works for you may not work for me, and what works for her may not work for you. We are not the same. It doesn't matter if you're African-American, Hispanic, Latina, uh, Asian, white. We don't have the same body. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you, you just have to do your research and understand um, how to move correctly, how to manage correctly for yourself. Because me, I can't eat wheat, hmm. even though wheat is healthy. Wheat is supposed to be healthy for you. I can't do grains. I can't do wheat. They say veg- vegetables are good. Well, edamame is a vegetable. That's soy. I can't do edamame. Mm. They say fruit is good for you. I can't eat grapefruit because I'm allergic because of endometriosis. Mm. So you have all of these different things. We talked about dairy. It makes me nauseous right before my cycle. So I can't eat it the week before my cycle. Right. You have to just pay attention to certain things. And so those are the when you're tracking. It's about referring back to the notes you're taking on yourself, researching yourself as a subject. Right. That research might not be available too. We know that there's a huge gap in in medical understanding because we haven't researched populations beyond white males, right? Right. So, you know, if that research doesn't exist, you research yourself as an anecdotal piece of evidence there. Mm -hmm. And how do you test endometriosis and do research on endometriosis on a white male? Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, it, it's really, really interesting. Those are the top three tips that I have for anybody that has uh, a chronic illness. Anybody that thinks they have a chronic illness is track everything, not just symptoms, track every single thing that you have going on. 
advocate for yourself and do research. It is imperative that you take on these responsibilities as soon as you feel that it's something is wrong. Don't wait. Don't gaslight yourself. Don't allow anybody around you to gaslight yourself. Don't, don't, mm-mm. we don't have time for that. Life is short and you have to make sure that whatever is going on with you, you can figure it out. Because after you started tracking things, like I said, it took me three months to figure it out. If three is my number. I, I don't know why. Yeah, three it is. It's a magic number. Three years. So I, I just use it. And after a while, I'm like, okay, I got it. I know what to do. I know how to move now. I know how to do these things. I know how to accomplish these things now. So, you know, those are my top three friends. Three, 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 three things. Three things. <laughs> I've got one more top three list for you. Yeah, top three things. One more top three list. I want to know, and this is one of my favorites, what three things in life give you unbridled joy? Things that, you know, you've made these different um, lifestyle management changes, right, to work around your symptoms, um, like not eating dairy the week before your period, things like that. But what are three things that you're completely unwilling to compromise? So these can be guilty pleasures, secret indulgences, comfort activities, especially if you're having a flare. But what are three things in your life that you turn to for happiness? I know this. I don't even know if this is a good one, but I'm going to say food. No judgment. Food. We Uh, love it. (laughs) I I know that we should not eat certain things. Um, I have endometriosis. I know I have endometriosis. I'm the one that has to deal with the endo flare-ups. And that's going to be on me. But I'm going to eat ice cream. I'm going to eat peach cobbler. I'm going to eat desserts. I'm going to do certain things that I want to do because we still have to live and I still have to be happy sometimes, you know? So I I still want to make sure that I still have the joys of life without, you know, I think that is the biggest thing. A lot of people with chronic illness are just in this phase where they're so sad all the time. It's no joy. Like a lot of the support groups that we were in, it was like dragging. Oh my gosh. Oh I want to laugh. I need you to relax. I need you to relax just a little bit. So that is one of the things. Um, Food. I will always love food. Tacos is a definite. (laughs) Uh, You also, let's see, have being around friends and family. Like my relationships with my friends and family, as much as they may get on my nerves, I love them deeply. I enjoy everything about it. Um, Let me think. They, even though I can't hang around them as much as I want to sometimes, depending on my endometriosis flare-ups, but I think that having that communication and those boundaries and talking and expressing yourself, they kind of understand. You do have some friends that are like, no, come on, you can't go out with me? No, girl, I can't. Not today. I don't feel well. Well, when are you going to feel well? Take some ibuprofen. Leave me alone. Yeah. Leave me alone. And then my sleep. I love sleep. Resting is one of, and I know that it may sound simple, but when you're in pain, sometimes Mm -hmm. you really don't sleep. Like right now during the pandemic, a lot of people aren't sleeping. Yeah. No. So it's just like, I, I do appreciate the opportunity to take time to go to sleep, to relax, to rest my body, to get rejuvenated and hibernate and things of that nature, and then feel refreshed when I wake up. Hmm. I love so it. So those are the top three things for me. Beautiful. What is your ask for listeners today? What can 
people who are tuning into this episode do to support you and your community in the work you're doing? Um, I think it's if you see something, say something. I always mm-hmm. use that. The biggest thing is I, I don't want people to message people and ask them what can they do and how do I do this and do two extra things. I want you to message people and say, how are you feeling today? Yeah. I want you to be a listening board. I want you to listen. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to listen to respond. I don't want you to listen to attack. I don't want you to tell somebody that their opinions are not valid because you don't feel like it's a valid opinion. Mm-hmm. If a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around, does it make a sound? Yes, it does. Yeah. You just yeah. didn't hear it. That doesn't mean it's not real. That doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. not there. So we have to get out of the habit of telling people that what people feel is not what they feel. Mm. And it's really, really interesting because I had a moment, you know, we just recently started pushing the Black Women's Health Coalition and this lady, she told me that what I was doing was a political issue. Oh. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, well, I know this is going real quick. Um, she also told me, and let me guess, she was a white lady. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. White women, we need to do better. (laughs) I mean, as you clap your hands. Yeah. As I clap my hands, I'm like, come on, white ladies, we can do better than this. Yes. Um, she also told me that I allowed the media to tell me about my own experience. Oh, oh, interesting. You know, she said, Y'all, y'all media to tell her about your experience too, or? Because I don't understand. Yeah, that's all gaslighting, is what that all is. Exactly, gaslighting. She also mentioned that she said, Where were you two weeks ago before all of this stuff happened? So I was me, busy being a Black woman using the healthcare system. Thank you. I've been here. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I never thought I would tell anybody this. This is a highlight of my life. I might make a shirt out of this. I told her, Google <laughs> me. Google yeah. me. Yeah. Because I've been here. We've been doing this type of stuff. Just because you're just seeing it doesn't mean anything. And these organizations that have been supporting us has been supporting us. I don't know why you just popped up, though. I don't know why you just saw the post. Because a lot of organizations have been supporting us. So it was really, really interesting and it was hurtful. But what I did was, and I don't do this very often, I invited her to my space. I said, come, Mm. listen. Mocktails and cocktails is going on tonight. I want you to hear African-American women and women of color talk about their struggles in the healthcare industry. I want you wow. to get on the conversation and listen to this. You have that an opportunity. You opened yeah, like, the door for someone oh, who didn't understand and offered an opportunity. Yeah. She ain't, she ain't show up. Uh, no, because she's a she's chicken, but yeah, okay. <laughs> right, she likes to really, from behind a screen, but yeah. Right, because to be honest with you, I... um. I, I was asking people for donations for the event to take place. And I I sent her the link. I sent her the passcode. I sent her the meeting ID. Come on, girl. It's 7 o'clock. I said, where you at? You gave her every reason to engage. She still has not even opened it. She probably didn't even know. But I tagged her in it. And I told her I was sending her the information and check her DMs. Good for you. I, I created space for you to come. The thing is, I created space for African-American women and women of color to vocalize how they feel. 
but I just opened the door for you to come in. Now, if you would have got disrespectful, I definitely would have removed her from oh, it. Yeah. And I gave women, the women on the call, the updates and the heads up. Hey, we may have somebody mm-hmm. on the call tonight, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to know because I opened up the floor for her. Mm-hmm. I did. I want, because you can't tell me. It, it's a difference from, you know, crying wolf and it's one person. But if it's 15 people, if it's 35 people, if it's hundreds of people that are saying the same thing, there's a problem. It's just like the school system. If somebody in your class, I remember verbatim, I was in college, and I still love this professor to this day, but she failed the entire class. It was 14 of us. It was my senior research class for communications. She failed the entire class. And this was the only time we could take this class because it was one was fall, one was spring. And it was the senior research 303 and the other one was 304. And the whole class fell. If the whole class fell, well, baby, you're going to have to teach this again because it's really not on us. Yes, good point. It wasn't on us because somebody missed the the bar somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I worked hard in that class. Well, I, I worked twice as hard when I took it because we ended up taking the class 303 and 304 back to back. So we just wow. stayed in the classroom the whole time. The same 14 people. Oh, my God. You know, and thankfully, the university, listen, I end up, you know, I attended a historically black college university, Morgan State University, and they listened to what we said. The instructor, she was Jewish, um, but I still love her. I still love her to this day because she opened my eyes to a lot of different things as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's just I try to use analogies for people to understand. Like, I'm not making stuff up. Like, the struggles that I feel are real. How black women are feeling are real. The statistics do not lie. There are more African American women dying during childbirth than African, you know, than than, than any other, than yeah, any yeah. other um, ethnicity right now. You know, yeah. they're they're it's shocking those statistics. And I'm I'm sure it's happened more often. Unfortunately, this week a black woman died. Last week a black woman died. The week before a black woman died, and there's yeah. articles coming out about it. There was a woman that specified to her mom. She said, I don't think I'm gonna make it out of childbirth alive. She said that wow. to her mother. I'm so sorry. And she didn't make it. And her mother knew. You know, and now a child grows up without a mother, and now we have a whole different situation going on. Yeah. So and and that could have been avoided. Yeah. Wow. Well, what is next? in your advocacy and your wellness journey as we wrap this up? Ooh, what is next as I miss the Burns finger? <laughs> <laughs> What's That's next for Endo Black? I know you're going to be <laughs> launching um, the VDOT. Yes. With April Christina and Samantha Denae. So that's yes. a podcast for everyone to look out for. But what's next as you continue to grow? I mean, you've been talking about the continued growth of the Black Women's Health Coalition. And, mm-hmm. you know, what about Endo Black? What about your own personal wellness? What's next on the table for you? So right now we uh, are pushing some things. We are going to start our info newsletter back up. So look out for that. We have our Endo Black Cookbook, which is a cookbook that will be compiled of recipes for 
African-American people and anybody that wants to share. As everybody knows, we do have soul food. Um, <laughs> and our soul food is not the healthiest soul food. It does have high cholesterol. Um, and, you know, that can kind of hinder us a little bit in our health field. So we're trying to make food healthier but still tastes good because as we know there is some food that is healthy that is not good (laughs) so and that's a lot of reasons why you know a lot of african-american people don't want to do vegan or don't want to do something because they don't like that um so we will have our endo black cookbook out we will have our endo log out we are also doing our uh legacy not legacy our league our league will be compiled of partners that have businesses uh and we will be connecting with them and people that are interested in getting some of these discounts the codes getting some of the information they will have to subscribe to our info newsletter Uh, we also have the partners club we'll be working with other organizations who are um, in the medical field or who are solely focused on endometriosis so those are some of the things that we are doing. Of course, our, our ambassadors program is going to continue to grow. We're doing that. We're not going to stop that at all. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we have some other things in store. I don't want to share too much because I want to make sure that it happens in a, in a good timing manner. And I yeah. don't want to put too much out there. But those are some of the things that we do have. And I, I'm really, really excited. Tons of growth ahead. Can you tell everyone where they can find you and all of your various projects on the World Wide Webs? Yes. So you can find me on uh, Instagram at my personal is I am Lauren Renee. I-A-M-L-A-U-R-E-N-R-E-N-E-E. You can find me at Indo Black. So that's Indo underscore Black. And that is our nonprofit page. You can check out endoblack.org. You can also check us out on uh, Black Women with Endo. That is our public page on Facebook. And you have African-American Women with Endometriosis, which is our private page, which we allow uh, women to come and have intimate conversations and stories to figure things out. Uh, You can also, let's see, check us out. We are doing YouTube now. Uh, We do have a YouTube page. You can find us at Endoblack. So we only have one thing up there as of right now, but we are looking to do some really, really great work in the next couple of months. Uh, let's see. I think that may be it on where you And we'll link find- to oh, Twitter. all this. Oh, Twitter. Twitter and the endo underscore black, I believe. And awesome. of course, and- that email address is the endo black at gmail.com. Perfect. And I will also link to everything that you've just mentioned on the webpage for this episode. So if you're clicking through and listening on the Uninvisible Pod website, you'll be able to access all those links um, on the episode page. Lauren, is there anything else you'd like to share with us before I release you into cocktail hour today? (laughs) Um, Because it's happy hour everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) But I I just want to say thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciated it. Uh, sharing your platform with me, it, it really allows me to share so much information, to have these educated conversations, and to create constant dialogue around um, awareness for African American women and women of color, to create a dialogue around women's reproductive health, and to create a dialogue around systematic racism. Uh, I know this is something you've been doing, so I appreciate you. You didn't just start this, and I think oh, that so that sorry. is very, very genuine. 
um, because then I'm telling you over the last month, it has been quite difficult because you have so many people reaching out and I'm very, very appreciative of it. However, it has been a lot, you know, to the point where we have to take a step back uh, and take a moment. A lot of times people forget that, you know, I was born black. Uh, This isn't something new for me. We've been dealing with this a lot. And a lot of people think that we're just about to pick up and change and hit the ground running. Well, it doesn't work that way and it cannot move that fast. If anything moves that fast, it's never that good and it's not genuine. So we need to take our time with this. We need to make sure that the conversations continue. We need to make sure that we're still having educated dialogues about all of these things. And we need to make sure that we are really making a difference. Uh, and making sure we're sharing the platform. You have so many Indo-Black uh, advocates. Um, you have so many, well, ambassadors, I should say. You have so many African-American um, advocates for endometriosis. You have, like we said before, Samantha Dene, uh, Andrea Stevens, Kyla, Christina April. You have Chef Rashida. You have um, so many women that want to make a difference, want to make a change. So many different people that are using that platform for different things. We haven't, we even have an Indo Black ambassador who does reviews on products for hair. You know, it's simple things like that because there are women like, well, what is a really good product for my hair? You know, and it's really important for us to look at these things. Uh, And it's not, again, it's not just about Black women. It's about all of us as a whole and making sure that we can be inclusive. And to be honest with you, we even have to make sure that we're sharing the platform with the transgender community as well. So we need to get to a place where we are being open and we are communicating and we are educating people on a constant level. Well, we've learned that on this show, speaking of the trans community, and we've learned from previous episodes of this show that you don't have to identify as female to have a uterus, you know? So if you've got a uterus, you can have yeah. endo, but you can also not have a uterus and have endo. Cause a lot of women get hysterectomies and we know that that's not necessarily an effective treatment. So it's not, and it's one of the most recommended treatments besides birth controls for African-American women, but that's neither here nor there. That is going well, to stop us. That's, that's but let's just say, happens. we'll end it on this note that like that is further proof that systemically black women are being pushed toward not reproducing, that this is all about underlining, you know, our, our history as a slave owning nation. I'm cheering you on right now because you are hitting it. <laughs> but this. it's true. And, you know, hey. when we had Samantha on the show, she was talking about birth control as a, a form of population control. And I think, you know, this yep, is absolutely is. right. If this is what we're pawning off on people and we're finding that these treatments aren't necessarily effective, They're not beneficial. why are we doing it? Yeah. Then, then, or- it, Who it has, it, it's not helping anybody. It's about control. It's about money. It's about cor- corporations. The healthcare system is corporation. America is a corporation. Everybody works. That's why we sign contracts. That's why we do certain things. That's why we just sign stuff. Anytime you go in, we sign before yeah. we have a surgery. We sign before we become a patient. We're signing stuff. Yeah, it's a safety net a little bit. But you're doing it because you 
you don't even know if this is going to help me, but you're going to do it. And guess who's going to get paid off of it, even if I don't yeah, get cured? Well, it's not I your safety that. net. It's the hospital safety net. It's the doctor's exactly. safety net. It's the so safety net for the doctor. Is, yeah, Where's this is about protecting the patients. Exactly. And your safety net right now is in information and in community. Yep. And that's what we're hoping to continue to bring to you. So, Lauren, it has been such an honor having you on the show. I know you are tired. And I thank you, especially uh, because of this last month since George Floyd's murder um, and since the protests have begun. I'm extremely honored that you took the time to talk to me today. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.